As always, it is my pleasure that you join me for today's podcast of Second Chance Coaching. My name is Dr. Richard Lewis. If you'd be so kind as to leave me a rating and your feedback, I would very much appreciate it and it will help others like you to optimally discover this podcast wherever you listen to this and your other favorite podcast. As you know, at Second Chance Coaching, we focus on seeing everyday life through the eyes of the returning citizen and highlighting the resiliency of the human spirit. I would love to work with you one-on-one, whether you're a returning citizen or coaching client seeking your second chance, or you're a representative of a business, college, or university seeking to integrate and support returning citizens in your respective organizational and learning environments. Please feel free to contact me via email at richard at secondchancecoaching.com or via Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Welcome everyone to the third episode of our fourth season of Second Chance Coaching. It is so good to have you join us this week again, and certainly um, it's my hope that you're navigating through the holiday season and you're navigating well. Whether that navigating is logistically as to where should you shop and how you could commute because there's so much extra traffic everywhere, or just really how you're emotionally navigating through the season. As we discussed last week, certainly if you're going through these processes, reach out to someone, reach out to us. But whatever you do, whatever you do, do not go through those negative feelings on your own. And if you're thriving through the holiday season, that's even better. Help someone else to thrive. That's a, that's a really good thing. On, on, on my end, I have to tell you, I was telling some friends and colleagues the other day that the speed of putting together final grades, final examinations, the beginning of final exam week, which, is, which starts today on Wednesday, and the amount of emails you get for student requests for extra credit, raising grades a few extra points so they can get an A, and even some of the more verbally aggressive requests for an increased grade, it's, uh, it's, it's really incredible. When I was in administration and professional technical staff, after Thanksgiving, you almost had pretty much like a, about a good solid three weeks before you got to the end of the term. But when you're faculty, that end of the term like happens really quick. You only have like a week and a half before you're getting into the full, the full throes of uh, the end of the term. But I, I literally take one approach to all of these extra credit requests and increased grade, increased points and things of that nature. I just say no. I just simply say no to everyone. And, and I add, if they want to listen to it, a touch of lessons that, uh, that they should have taken a serious and sustained approach to their studies, that every point matters no matter what. And if you, do, if you take that approach, it'll leave you not to be in a position to keep asking for such assistance. Now, of course, the students' uh, responses were not welcome with the biggest of enthusiasm, but I enthusiastically tell the students that those lessons um, – those lessons are there for you to learn to absorb, and I give it to them for free. And hopefully they take those lessons and they do better next term. And I share with them that you will be confident, that I am confident that you will do so much better after having those lessons. Now they look at me like, oh, Dr. Lewis, I'm not trying to feel that. But that is the lesson. That's what it is that you have to take from going through this term. But in addition to final exam week, there's some other projects that are in the hopper, and it certainly put a delay in putting out today's episode. That's why we're a few hours late um, in putting this out this morning, but I wanted to make sure we put it out this morning. 
So now, as we talk about additional projects that are going on, uh, many of them that I have involve reentry projects or reentry initiatives or reentry presentations and the successful ways in which reentry is done and really how it could be done better. But when, but when folks are on their reentry journey, whether they're being released or on supervision or they've maxed out their time in, in, uh, in incarceration, maintaining successful employment is often a requirement for being on supervision, whether that's being on parole or probation. And certainly, even if you've maxed out your time, getting employment is one of the things that one does or is getting some sort of a legal income get, is someone one does as they start off their reentry journey. And the statistics demonstrate that recidivism is significantly reduced when one has full-time sustainable employment. In my dissertation, as well as many other sources, it indicated that on average, recidivism, which those of us, those of you guys who don't know, recidivism is when an individual reoffends um, after being released from incarceration, that re- recidivism is on average of 70 to 75% within the first three years of someone's being, being released. And the obtaining of full-time employment or having legal income or, or opening up a business could cut the recidivism rate by 40 to 45%. That's incredible. But when one has a full-time job as part of their purpose, it does lower recidivism, which is important to the community and it is important to that individual. And the reentry journey is more successful for that returning citizen. When I was on, you know, when I was on work release and parole from 2001 to 2005, I certainly was not aware of these research statistics, but I knew that working and rebuilding my purpose and, 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 and being on my way back to living life was tied to my sustainment to being able to take care of myself. And through taking care of myself is through having full-time employment. When I was on work release and pro, when I first got on there, my first job was working as a contract worker for the New York City Department of Human Services. In that job, I worked as an inventory analyst in their warehouse located on the far south side of Brooklyn, all the way in Sunset Park. And the humility of that job was not only doing the work, which was good, simple work. I mean, it wasn't manual labor, but it was good, simple work. But certainly the time I spent on the bus and the train, it was a long commute from Queens. It left me a lot of time to think about what was next. What was I going to be doing next? What was going on in that moment? And when I, and, and when I concluded work release and then I just became on, on parole, I took on a second job. As many of you know, I took on a job and started working at Amsterdam Billiards, working in security. And that was a, a rewarding job in and of itself as well because not only did it help me continue to remind me of my purpose in working, but also being in that social setting, watching other people enjoy life as far as playing in leagues and just going out on dates and just having, just being in a social setting and vibing with, with, with friends also reminded me that there's a balance between work and play. It also reminded me what, what was I working towards? What was I working towards as far as rebuilding my life? And then in 2003, I started to look for another full-time job because I figured at that point, my, my um, time at the New York City Human Services had had expired. It had not expired. I decided to leave on my own because I felt like, you know what, what I was learning there, I learned what I needed to learn there and that, that time was over. But then when I was looking for another full-time job, I did leave human services and I, and I was offered another, and accepted another position as, a, as another contract worker with the New York City Administration of Children's Services. In this position, I worked as a technical writer. Now, I didn't even know what a technical writer was at that point, but as a technical writer, I basically was charged with writing 
manuals and technological instructions for computer technology and software programs and I was and I was designed to write them in plain English for the staff to utilize as part of their everyday work. Now the job definitely required more effort than I had than I did at Human Services and it was a long commute as well. So I was going to Lower Manhattan, but I certainly felt purposeful and it was thinking which direction that my career would take at this point. You know, I was thinking maybe I'll go into project management, maybe I'll get industry technical certifications. I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but I think I was thinking that this job would take me to that place and help me discover it and if I really wanted to do it or not do it. And I was just not aware that my time at that job would be pretty short. I don't I didn't think I don't even think we crossed I don't even think I crossed 90 days at that job. And the colleagues there, they were they were pretty decent for the most part, but I remember running into one colleague, one woman that was there. She seemed to be like the right-hand person of of the site boss, of the site manager or, or the person that was in charge. She seemed to be his right-hand person, and anything that she said or she told him to do, he would do it. And initially when I met her, she was pretty supportive, you know, um, pretty pretty supportive, friendly. There didn't seem to be a problem. But it didn't take long for me to see that she that she had expressed an interest in me, a romantic interest in me, and was making numerous romantic overtures to me. I didn't think much of it, you know, at the time. I kind of, like, brushed it off. I didn't really, you know, respond too much. But when I saw that it was getting to the point of being harassing, like, you know, she's really, like, not taking no or a blow off for an answer, um, I had to sit there and tell her that I wasn't interested, that I would politely decline her overtures. And at the time, I wasn't interested in her. I did have a girlfriend at the time. And plus, you know, I was really at the beginning of my reentry journey. And it was at the beginning of parole. I didn't want to mess that up. And I was really concentrating on optimizing my purpose, you know. And even if I was the per- type of person that said, you know what, let me just play around and do dirt. Let me just sit there and juggle and do what it is that I want. It just wasn't in my bandwidth to do it, you know, in addition to just trying to go home and trying to be home and do my thing and take care of the kids when they would come for the summer. I was just trying to, I was just trying to be the best person I could be and try to live my purpose. And, you know, playing around, I didn't think that was going to be part of my purpose. Now, one of the first assignments that we got, I forgot the nature of the assignment, but we received our initial technological project and all of us were teamed up with different project partners, you know, different coworkers that we would work on the project with. And this time we were working two, two on two. So when we received our initial technical project, I, I just pretty much went with the flow. You know, I jumped into learning these new parameters. I was excited about learning this new job and learning what it is that we're going to be doing over there. Not only in learning it there, but knowing that I wanted to take it and learn in different places as well. And then um, then we had a collective team briefing, a team meeting to talk about the parameters of the project. Now my project partner, I knew that he was a strong, that he had a strong personality and things of that nature. And But you know, I didn't really think nothing of it. But in that meeting, without warning, he's, he definitely talked about how critical he was of the parameters of the project, that he didn't like it. And in that meeting, you know, he was pretty strong and pretty vocal, you know, he was a little older than me. So I felt like, you know, it wasn't really my place to say anything. But in the midst of that talking and having that discourse go on back and forth, I just felt it wasn't my place to speak. I don't think I was in a place to speak. I didn't want to contradict my partner, but I also didn't want to go against the people that were giving us directives that, but even though I thought to myself that my project partner had some valid points in what he was talking about, 
I really just wanted to work under the radar. I just wanted to be under the radar as far as what we were doing. And at the end of the day, I thought to myself, listen, we're not being asked to do anything illegal. We're not being asked to do anything immoral. So my perspective was, let's, let's just get it done. I mean, I'm not in charge, so let's just get it done. It's, it's, it's not that bad. The meeting continued to get contentious with him, and, and it got contentious with the people we were working for. So it just seemed to keep on escalating at that point. I just took notes in the meeting. Didn't say much. Didn't say much, much, much words after that. But, you know, you certainly, after a meeting like that, you don't come away with a good feeling. And after that meeting, you know, the remainder of the morning, there was no follow-up for anybody we worked with, no follow-up discussion, no next steps, no nothing. It was like a strange, cold, like that frozen out feeling when you could tell people are not speaking to you or not engaging with you. And then uh, right before lunchtime that day, our agency representative came on site and told us and, and took us out to lunch and then told us over lunch when we were off site that the two of us were being terminated from the job immediately, that the people at the, that the people at Administrative of Children's Services said they were terminating us. They did not want or desire our employment any longer that any of our belongings that were there, that she would go back in, in there and get them, and she did retrieve those things. And I didn't have any belongings there anyway. Like I said, we were there for less than 90 days. Now, now the now my former project partner, even in the midst of that conversation, continued to protest about the parameters of the project, continued to talk about making his case as to why that project wasn't, wasn't being done the way it should be done. I felt at that time, I said, why is this guy still talking? The decision was made, and as distasteful as the events were and as things happened, the termination had already been done. You know, the agency rep asked, how did I feel? At this point, I said, okay, you ask me how I feel. I didn't really think what difference did it make how I felt. All I said was I thought that the termination was unfair. I did say it in front of him that I thought I was being fired because of, because of my project partner really running off his mouth, you know, and I was being held guilty by association because I didn't say anything. Um, but what I did not say, and what I'm saying aloud for really the first time in 19 years, that by not accepting romantic overtures and subjecting myself, really pretty much subjecting myself to sexual harassment, also left me vulnerable. Because I truly believe that if I accepted those advances and sat there and went along with something I didn't want to go with, it probably could have saved my job because I didn't do anything from a work standpoint to warrant termination. But nevertheless, you know, I was like, no, I'm still happy that I didn't, you know, compromise what I didn't want to do at that time. I didn't compromise myself. But even in that moment, you know, I was in shock. I was saddened and I was dejected all at the same time. And of course, that seemed to be the longest ride going home. You know, I'm thinking to myself on the ride home, my objective was just to get my life together really get the stank of incarceration off of me, really work towards that, and now look at what I'm doing. I Now I completely feel like a failure. Like everybody that believed in me and was supporting my reentry now have a look to say, well, look, he's, he's failing now. He's, he's not doing what he was supposed to do. I didn't tell my friends nor my family for the most part about me being fired. So them hearing this story about me being fired 19 years ago, they're hearing it for the first time now. And of course, you know, my mom and my sister knew I was terminated, but I didn't share the sexual harassment part. I kept that to myself. I didn't share that with them. You know, I just, you know, I really just felt ashamed. Uh, I felt like a failure. And looking back on it, it was just incredibly stupid to feel that way. You know, it wasn't my fault what happened. You know, I didn't make passes at myself. I didn't harass myself. I didn't, 
I didn't open my mouth in a meeting and, and to be contentious and be di- and have discourse for no reason. You know, I really was paying attention. I remember at the time that there were whispers of certain family members and even some so-called friends that, um, you know, that that was putting shame on my being incarcerated and shame on my reentry. And I just didn't want that failure to sit there and give voice to what they were talking about. So, you know, at the end of the day, I gave power to to family that didn't have my support. Um, I, I didn't have their support and so-called friends who I didn't have their support. And there's nothing I was going to be able to do that was going to change their minds anyway. But I let those voices, those insignificant voices, take charge of my life and take charge of what it is that I wanted to do. You know, looking back on it, I should have embraced the experience as a learning experience. And I should not have allowed a woman's misbehavior to marginalize me. I should not have sat there and, and, and taken blame for someone else's actions, for someone else's misbehavior. I should not have allowed my voice to be robbed in that process. Should not have allowed to let a project partner speak for me. You know, when I look at all these projects and reentry that I'm doing right now and how important it is for the purposes of, of you know, people's reentry and employment, and maybe, and certainly it's, it's important to your reentry and your employment, it made me really think about that experience of being fired, you know, almost 19, a little over 19 years ago. You know, I certainly want to take the time to share with you um, today on how to get over getting fired from a job, especially along your reentry journey, especially along that, 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 this standpoint, you know, some of the steps that I'm sharing with you are more emotional in nature, really mindset in nature. And I executed some of these steps even without even knowing, but when I got through the termination process, but certainly before we get through these steps, I want you to first, the first important step, if you don't remember any of these steps, what I want you to remember is to remember to feel no shame if you get terminated. It happens all the time. A lot of people get fired. So don't feel any shame when it comes to that. No matter what certain family members from the peanut gallery who you don't have their support and you'll never have their support anyway, whatever they're saying, whatever so-called friends or associates or people that you're trying to impress, remember people you're trying to impress are so-called friends that you don't even like, you don't even care for them. So remember, the first step, if you don't remember any step at all, they do not matter. They don't matter. So let's get to the steps as far as getting over getting fired. You know, number one, let yourself feel your emotions. You know, losing a job is a major life change. It's almost like grieving someone or grieving something. Allow yourself to reconcile those feelings and put closure to them and move on. Allow yourself to feel it. It's okay to feel it at that moment. Don't just try to get up and move on from it. Allow yourself the opportunity to feel it. Number two, focus on yourself and exhibit self-care. I cannot say that enough in so many different podcasts we do to, to exhibit the habit of self-care and incorporate that in your new job and in and your new life. Three, reflect on the positives. What did the job teach you? What skills did you learn? What did you learn about yourself? Were you the right fit? Was, was, it, was it always the right fit for you? What lessons did you learn from that job, good and bad? Number four, reassess your wants and your needs. List out the ideal conditions in which you, and practices that you want at your next job. There's nothing wrong with negotiating what it is that you want at your next job. Not only when it comes to salary and benefits, but to what it is that you want. What do you want as far as that environment is concerned? And write them all down. Picture it and really manifest it. You know, number five, set new goals. 
Set new goals to establish your entire, people say your entire work-life balance, but let me add something else to it. Your work-life and living balance. Use the SMART method where it's specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and timely or time-bound. When I got um, fired from the Administration of Children's Services, I was also working at Amsterdam Billiards at the same time. So I still had that job. It was only on the weekends and I was working at night. So I had, you know, different, a different type of schedule where I could reflect on things and do different, different errands during the day. And I really had time to really reflect and think about what it is that I wanted to do next. And thank goodness I still had a job with, with some income, not as much income as I'd like. It was a part-time job bringing in part-time work. But I had that opportunity to spend time with the kids when they came for the summer to really think through with family, to read um, and just write down a lot of things purposely that I wanted to do, what my next steps were. And my next full time job after that was not for another year when I got to the Fortune Society. And then, you know, you guys know in previous episodes how, how wonderful that experience was for me as well. Number six, make healthy decisions. Stay, stay active, stay exercising, keep moving. Keeping moving definitely helps you have a clear mind, has, gives you less stress. Think about the food that you eat. Of course, I had a lot of home cooking for mom, so that helped a lot. It, when you feel better, you'll do better. And, having, and making those healthy decisions will definitely, definitely help, you, help you go through that. When I went through the first part of the reentry journey, when I first was indicted and going through court and going through all that stuff, making healthy decisions and exercising and really finding a way to get through that process by keeping in movement and keeping in exercise, it really helped me keep myself in perspective. A lot of times we think that staying in bed and laying down will help us do better. Not always. You know, you got you to gotta be active. Make those healthy decisions to, to help you with that. And the last step I'll talk to you about is certainly this was not an issue when I was going through the beginning stages of, of this reentry period and going through this being terminated is take a break from social media. Take a break from it. Stop comparing your life to others. Now, when I look at social media, I look at so many people that I grew up with. Look at people I went to school with. Look at people that I worked with. Some people I do work with. And I constantly go through the same things that you go through. I compare myself. I think about what they're doing. And I'm thinking about what I'm doing. Am I doing enough? And I'm doing this. But they're doing that. They have this new car. And what about this? And what about that? You got to stop. Stop it. Stop it. Stop doing it. I understand. I love social media. I do see where it has its value. I get it. I keep in touch with loved ones. But really, everything that's in social media is a moment. You're capturing a moment. You're capturing moments in time. And I cannot compare my everyday journey. You cannot compare your everyday journey to a captured moment in time that someone's putting on social media. Now, when I've spoken to people on the phone that I've reconnected with in social media that I grew up with and we speak, we be friends, family, and we speak on the phone, I know who they are. I know what they're going through. And I hear all the stories that they're going through, the struggle that is not representative in those moments in time. But at the same time, they hear what I'm going through. They know what I am. They know who I am. And they know the struggles that I'm going through that are not captured in those moments in time. So when you're going through the job transition, you know, if, it's, if it helps for your sanity, take a break from social media. Because believe me, you have bigger fish to fry than to comparing your, 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 your everyday what's going on to someone's frozen moment in time. At the end of the day, you know, being fired is not easy. It's happened to many of us. It happens to, it still will happen to many of us. It happens to people all the time. And the recover, but, but remember, the recovery and the comeback is still there to be had. 
is still there to be had. It was, it was to be had by me. It's to be had by you. And no one should underestimate the power of those of us. That Yes, I'm talking to you. You, me, and those of us who are all in this together. Who've perfected the art of the comeback. You've done that. You've done that already. You've gotten out of prison. You've gotten off of parole. You've gotten off of probation. So you've already perfected the art of the comeback. You've done that. And so have, and so have I. So you know you and me, all of us together in this, we're already powerful forces. So believe me, you got this. I look forward to catching up with you all next week. Thank you so much. Continue to survive, continue to thrive, continue to do well, and continue to write your comeback. I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you again for joining us here at Second Chance Coaching. In addition to coaching services for individuals and businesses, I'm also available for speaking engagements and workshops on criminal justice reentry, human resources, as well as organizational culture and leadership. Feel free to email me at richard at secondchancecoaching.com, as well as connect with me on Instagram at the Dr. Richard Lewis. Remember, every day you are given this opportunity for your second chance, and I know you'll make the best of it. I love you all, and I look forward to connecting with you next time here at Second Chance Coaching.